Thanks so much, V. How's the 10 a.m. doing? Yeah, you can do better than that. How are you guys doing? Awesome. I need to hear you. Uh, the 10 a.m. is awesome. I think this is one of my uh, top three gatherings of the day. Yes, uh, but you are very special to me, and uh, I love you guys. Uh, in actual fact, this is um, generally the fullest of the three gatherings, and so well done. You prioritize being here, and uh, amazing to have you. If you're new or visiting, uh, really good to have you with us. We love new people and visitors, uh, and so don't rush off. We'd love to meet you after the gathering. Uh, I really like that idea of Vaughan's for Quiznut. Uh, maybe we should make it a, a, a whole Bible general knowledge quiz. How does that sound? Maybe there's a special table for those who've done Institute, and then we're going to test them on what they've learned on Institute for the year. So that's a separate table, uh, and then they get a mark at the end of it. But seriously, real talk, quiz nights, uh, just give me a wave if you've ever been to a Godfest quiz night. Yeah, so many of us. It's such a highlight, right? And we haven't done it for like two years now. Uh, and so besides it being a really good opportunity for you to come along and hang out with the family, uh, it's a really, really good opportunity to bring people with who would not ordinarily ever step foot in a church uh, because it's fun, it's just um, relaxed, and best of all, there are really amazing prizes that we give away. This is not some Mickey Mouse thing. This is proper. You win proper prizes. So let's see all the competitive people in the house uh, that are going to go for it. But I can tell you it's worth it. And so get your tables together. Uh, obviously, we need to adhere to social distancing and all of that, but I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and that's the 12th of uh, December, so Sunday night, uh, which is uh, something that we haven't done before, so I think that will be good. All right, amazing. Well, we are going to jump into uh, the preach today. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll do that. Jesus, this morning we come to you and we're just so grateful, Lord, for everything that you're doing in us and through us and amongst us. We say thank you for this church, City Hope Church, for every single person who is part of us and considers themselves a partner here with us. We say thank you, Jesus. We bless you. We put you first and we pray be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. And hey, a very warm welcome to our online community joining us this morning. Can we give a really big, loud applause to our online community, please? Loud so they can hear us. Awesome. So good to have you with us online. I hope you've been tracking with us over the past couple of weeks. Uh, we're back in the Minor Prophets, uh, which we have uh, been for the majority of 2021 in Minor Prophets, interspersed with a couple of topical series along the way. But it's been really good. Uh, and we're currently in uh, the Minor Prophet of Jonah. Now, this is a, a short little book. It's only four chapters, uh, so it worked out quite well, uh, one chapter per week over four weeks. Uh, and so Lester kicked us off two weeks ago. Uh, Duncan was last week. If you missed those, I would really encourage you to catch up on that. Uh, it's been really, really brilliant. I have myself personally just felt ministered to and God speaking to me uh, as we've looked into what God is doing through uh, this minor prophet of Jonah. And so I uh, do catch up if you need to. We're in chapter three today, which is actually a really, really nice part of the story. It's some uh, incredible things that we see God starting to do here in Jonah. Um, but Jonah, uh, it goes without saying, uh, was a prophet appointed by God, ordained by God. And what a prophet is, is somebody who is the voice of God to uh, their generation, speaks for God uh, on God's behalf. And right in the beginning of the book, right in week one, in chapter one, verse two, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. And so if you read in along with me, I'd encourage you to take notes this morning as well. Uh, right in the beginning, we read, arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. 
I don't know about you, this, this always reminds me of that famous line from Mission Impossible. Remember it. Your mission, should you choose to accept. Your mission, should you choose to accept. It always reminds me of that. But we all know that Jonah, uh, how he responded. Not only did he choose not to accept, he also chose to run in the opposite direction as far as he could go. And so he rebelled against God. And what he did is he tried to get in a boat and sail as far as he could possibly get in the opposite direction. But God, being God, uh, didn't allow that. He wouldn't let him go. And so what he does is he throws a killer storm in the path of the boat. And so Jonah freaks out and he says to the sailors, throw me overboard. It's because of me that this is happening. And so eventually they throw him overboard. And then what happens is he gets swallowed by a giant fish. Again, compliments of God. And after three days, the fish vomits him up on shore. Can you imagine going through something like that? I call it the WWW of the Minor Prophets. A very weird, wild, and wet situation for our friend Jonah. But what happens, actually, is what we see. God is just bringing Jonah all the way back to the starting point. Right back to what he had said to Jonah in the first place. And that's where we're picking up this morning. And so we're in chapter 3. We're going to read through uh, all 10 verses of it. And so we can read together. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, does it sound familiar, for the second time, saying, here it goes again, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Verse 3, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. And then it says, Nineveh was an exceedingly, everybody say exceedingly, exceedingly great city. It says that it was three days' journey in breadth. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going on a day's journey, and he called out. He has his eight-word sermon. Are you ready for it? Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the worst sermon in the world. (laughs) Eight words, amen, done. Ben, please join me on stage. No, verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. This is amazing. The next part says, let everyone turn from his evil and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And then amazingly, verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. That's pretty unbelievable. Repentance and relenting. So, what we've seen so far is Jonah done a lot of running, 
I think there's a theme going on right now. There's a lot of running going on. When we, when we ordained Munya as an elder, Dean gave him a word about running. Last week with Pelile, we helped them raise money and we ran. And throughout Jonah, we've just seen running, running, running. So I don't know who's, who's got a word, who needs a word. It's something to do with running. But what we've seen is, first of all, in chapter one, we see Jonah running from God. He was running as far away from God as he could get. Then we get into chapter 2. We see Jonah running into God. In the belly of the fish in the ocean, he runs into God. It's his encounter with God. And now finally, in, verse, in uh, chapter 3, we start seeing Jonah finally starting to run with God. Jonah is now running with God according to his purposes in obedience. And so... There's a lot that we could talk about in this chapter. I think this is an awesome chapter. But what I really want us to do and what I think um, God is wanting to highlight for us is to look at this chapter in the very specific way that God has been challenging us so far through this amazing little book. Because I think as was God's desire with those original readers of this book of Jonah, I think that God wants us today to walk away from this book with a very clear sense and understanding of how big his heart really is, of how big God's heart truly is for all people. I think that that is what he wants us to do, to get a clear and sense and deep understanding of God's compassion, his compassion for all people. So in the story we see that God's love, God's compassion is not just demonstrated to the receivers, those receiving the warning. His compassion is not just demonstrated uh, to the evil guys of Nineveh. His love and compassion is, ex uh, is, is surprisingly extended to every single person in the story. And so this morning, I think there's three aspects of God's compassion for people that we want to pull out. So three main headings, God's compassion. And so the first aspect of God's compassion that we see in this chapter is God of second chances. Point number one, God of second chances. If you were here last week, I think what Duncan helped us with so brilliantly is he showed us that when I run from the heart of God for all people, it means that in some way, I've forgotten the heart of God for one person, me. When I forget his heart of compassion for all people, I may have forgotten his heart of compassion for myself, for one person. And when Jonah failed to take that compassion, to take God's heart of compassion to others, God had to remind him of what that compassion actually tasted like that he had received himself. Instead of running from it, he ran into it at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish. I think what's even maybe more surprising uh, than that is the fact that Jonah got a second chance in the first place. Because in the Old Testament, the office of prophet was very, very important. Uh, it wasn't something to be taken lightly because they were the actual voice of God. And so the penalty of being a false prophet or the penalty of disobeying as a prophet was very serious. It was normally death, all right? There's even an account in 1 Kings chapter 13 where a prophet was killed by a lion because he was disobedient to what God had asked him to do. But when Jonah rebelled, we see God being patient with him. We see God being gracious to him. 
I think often there's this expectation with us as Christian leaders that we need to be perfect, that we are perfect. I want to tell you the truth of the matter is we're not. There are no perfect Christians. There are no perfect Christian leaders. God's objective wasn't just to get a message to Nineveh, because if that was his whole objective, he could have just let Jonah die there in the sea, right? That wasn't his primary objective. Uh, God wasn't interested in what Jonah could do for him. He was interested in Jonah. Can that get an amen? I want to tell you this morning that God is not as interested in what you can do for him. He's more interested in you. And I believe that that is a word for someone in this room this morning. You see, God didn't need Jonah to get a job done. God doesn't need, need us so much to get a job done. He uses us. But he didn't need Jonah to get a job done. He went after Jonah. Why? Because Jonah needed God. Anybody in the room can testify. We need him more than what we can do for him. And so here we see Jonah getting a second chance. God of the second chance. Amen. I think it's so interesting uh, that chapter 3 where we read now, uh, those first two verses simply take us right back to chapter 1, the first two verses. It's very much this idea of a second chance. We see the word second in there, but it's almost like God is saying lovingly to Jonah, okay, let's go back to the starting line. Let's give you a second chance. Let's try this all over again. The word of God comes to him a second time. It's take two. But God's command hasn't changed. That's the thing. The command hasn't changed, but he's given Jonah the opportunity to respond correctly. I don't know about you, but it happens to all of us. A God of a second chance for us to respond correctly. I think that one of the greatest lessons of Jonah's failure and one of the greatest lessons of the forgiveness that Jonah received is that God can continue to use people who return to him. God will continue to use people time and time again who return to him. It's beautiful. We serve a God of a second chance. Thank you, God, that you're a God of the second chance. And actually, if we look throughout Scripture, similarly to Jonah, there's so many spiritual leaders who received that second chance. I believe there's so many of us even today in this room that have received that second chance. But if we go all the way back to Adam, you remember Adam sinning in the garden, but God covered him. Second chance. Moses murdered a man, but God called him. Second chance. Elijah quit and complained, but God recommissioned him. Second chance. And Peter denied the Lord, but guess what? God still used him. A second chance. Jonah was a changed man. He was changed by the grace of God. He learned that God is sovereign. He learned that God was on his side. He knew that God had called him. And now, finally, in chapter 3, he's ready and determined to go. So Jonah is obeying God. He's been changed by God. And he's submitting to God. Okay. Now we need to think about this, our whole concept and idea of change, right? I think we need to be careful about what we think and how we think when it comes to change. Because if we're not careful, we can start to think of change as perfection instead of change by degree. 
I don't know if you're finding yourself in a belly experience at the moment where you've run into God and God is speaking to you and you are going to be obedient to God. You've been changed in the belly as you're with God, as you've run into him, and he's changing you. But I want to encourage you this morning not to think about change as perfection. We need to think about change by degree. God changes us from glory to glory. I want you to know there is no perfect person except one. Amen? But he's changing us by degree. Jonah was changed in the fish. He wasn't perfected in the fish. I wonder if it's an expectation you have of yourself when you find yourself in these situations where you've run into God and God is speaking to you, you're experiencing change. Is there an expectation of perfection for yourself that leaves you disappointed when you don't reach that? Or maybe there's someone that you know, someone in your life who is in that belly experience. God is working with them. God is changing them. And you're saying, oh, Lord, please perfect them. They need it. Amen. Anybody got those people in their lives? That's not what happens. God changes you by degree. And so Jonah over here is doing what God called him to do. But guess what? He lacks the heart of God. He's obedient, but he's still lacking the heart of God because he hasn't been perfected. We're going to see that clearly next week in more detail, um, but I think we can pick it up when he delivers the word of the Lord. <laughs> Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It gives us a glimpse into the coldness of his heart at this moment. You see, I think that Jonah definitely repented of his actions 100%, but I don't think Jonah did a great job of repenting with his attitude, and I don't think he repented in his understanding either. As we'll see next week, Jonah's heart wasn't softened for the Ninevites yet. He loved God. He wanted to act in obedience to God, but he still didn't fully understand God's desire to show the Ninevites compassion, which is a bit understandable, but he hadn't got there yet. Although like Jonah, I think many of us don't recognize it. I believe that you and I, even today, can have similar attitudes. And I think the reason for this is our lack of understanding of God's compassion. God's compassion for us and God's compassion for all humanity. We want compassion when it comes to us. We seek compassion when it comes to us, but we don't necessarily seek that compassion when it comes to our enemies, right? Uh, we talk about hating the sin but loving the sinner, but our actions don't always necessarily line up with that, and it can just turn into nice talk. And today I want to challenge you to think about people in your lives who you disagree with or who disagree with you, and people in your lives who feel that you feel have wronged you. Are you simply trying to be tolerant of them, or are you willing to work for their good? Do you hear what I'm saying today, church? God knows what's best for us. And when we struggle to have that heart, when we struggle to have that compassion for all people, his heart can help us find our way back. He does that. But Jonah's heart here in this section wasn't quite there. For Jonah, this was a very real struggle. And we see it straight away in this chapter as he heads into the city. Now we are told here in verse 3, that this city required a three-day journey, right? And in verse 4, we learn that on his first day into the city, it says that Jonah started into that city. 
which is kind of a strange thing to say. Jonah started into the city. In English, it doesn't really sound like it makes much difference. It just means he's beginning his journey. But I think we can miss something very important here in the original language. Uh, the word translated as starts in here actually means to let loose or to untie. It implies that Jonah had to let something go. Anybody can identify here with me? In other words, for Jonah, it wasn't a matter of simply starting a journey. It was a matter of releasing something. It was a matter of releasing reservations that he had and to act in obedience to God. I think something we need to understand is that God's instructions don't always make sense to us. When God calls us to certain things, it doesn't always immediately make sense to us. But I believe we need to respond in obedience to God. Why? Because God knows better than us. Can anybody say amen? God, we're not God and God is God. He knows better than us, which is why we need to act in obedience to him. And so Jonah didn't understand, why do I need to show compassion to these Ninevites, these murderers? But he went in obedience anyway. This morning, I wonder if you find in yourself having, to run, having run into God and in this belly experience and you're in the starting out of, of the journey. Uh, is there some letting go that you need to do? Is there some letting loose of things that you need to do? As you're acting in obedience to what God's calling you to do, think about this phrase, starting, and think about is there something that you need to let go of before you can move ahead in your journey? You know, to a degree, I think we can understand Jonah's hesitancy to go. Uh, we, we heard about it in week one. The, the history of the Assyrians was brutal. If there was anyone who did not deserve mercy, it was them. It was the Assyrians. But these were the people that Jonah was sent to by God. And I think this is what makes the next aspect of God's compassion all the more astounding. And the second aspect of God's compassion this morning that we're looking at is God of repentance. Repentance. Now, I don't know if you noticed when we read uh, this chapter that it's 10 verses long, right? Uh, but it actually doesn't primarily focus on Jonah. In fact, six out of the ten verses deal specifically with the response of the Ninevites. It's the response of the Ninevites that we zone in on. Because these Ninevites not only heard the word of God, that's one thing to hear the word of God, they actually received the word of God. This is astounding. This is really the biggest surprise. They received the word of God and they repented this is crazy. This would never happen, but they repented from the greatest of them to the least of them. It says that they fasted and they wore sackcloth. Thank goodness we don't do that today, hey? And they sat in ashes. And then when the king even heard about it, he made a national fast, including the animals. Have you ever heard of an animal needing to fast? It means that they were taking this very seriously. They took a warning from God through Jonah extremely seriously. And there was a national repentance. I think it's unbelievable because of Jonah's eight-word message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I mean, come on. Is that not the worst sermon in the world? It's got to be. There's not even a glimmer of hope in there. At least here we speak about hope. Amen. We speak about God being a hope to us. There was nothing here. Not even a stitch of it. 
He doesn't even mention a thing about forgiveness or a way out for the Ninevites. He doesn't even give them the promise. Uh, he just gives them the promise of judgment, but he fails to communicate any grace, any mercy, or any compassion that he had just received himself. No, nothing. So we find our friend Jonah, he's saying the words of God, but actually, can you hear? He wants them to die. <laughs> I wonder how many of us have that in life. You're saying the words of God to your enemy, but in your heart you want them to die. Am I allowed to say that? It's so true. It proves something to us. It proves that it's not up to us to produce faith in others. It's not up to you. It's not up to me. We cannot produce faith in other people because change and repentance and new life comes from one person and one person only, and that is God. It doesn't come from us. And so we need to obey and we need to act. But here's what we need to learn from Jonah is we have to have the heart of God as we do the work of God. If you take your notes this morning, you have to have the heart of God as you do the work of God. And it is God who adds power to our words. Amen. It was because of God, not Jonah, that the Ninevites believed. And when we understand how wicked the Assyrians were on the one hand, and how cold Jonah's heart was on the other hand, I think what this does is it helps us better understand something that Jesus said in Matthew. If you were here last week, Duncan actually read this as well, but Jesus speaks about Jonah, which is one of the ways that we know Jonah was not a fairy tale. This was real because now here we find Jesus. This helps us over here. And so let's read together Matthew 12, 38 to 41, where it says, Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them. He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Can you see how it helps us understand now what Jesus is talking about? The point of what Jesus is trying to make is repentance. Repentance is the point. Hearing the word of God, receiving the word of God, and repenting. Because repentance in faith puts us in right relationship with God. I want to tell you this morning that repentance is the solution for everything. Repentance. So Jesus, the Son of God, is the Word of God. He was rejected by His generation, right? Jonah was a rebellious, sinful, hard-hearted man with a harsh message. But yet Nineveh repented. The possibility of mercy became reality. And guess what? It didn't even take 40 days. It didn't even take four days. By grace, the Ninevites repented and God relented. By grace. It's taken us into our third and final aspect of God's compassion 
this morning, and that is God of love. Everybody say God of love. Awesome. We're almost done this morning. But what I want to point out in this section is that God is the hero of the story. This isn't actually a story so much about Jonah learning from his mistakes and finally getting it right for the Lord. This is not so much a story about the Ninevites and their ability to finally reach down within them past their dysfunctional families, their perverted actions, and their grotesquely brutal treatment of other people, and then finding uh, inherent good in them and deciding to love each other and worship God. It's not so much about either of that. This is a story about a holy and a just and a merciful God who, guess what? God would have been perfectly right to destroy everybody in the story. Amen? God would have been right to destroy everybody in the story. He would have been right to destroy the sailors on the boat. He would have been right to destroy all the Ninevites. He would have been right to destroy Jonah himself. And he would have been right to destroy every one of us. Amen? Are you still with me? He would have been right to do that with no warning. <laughs> but this is about a God who deserves all glory and all worship, a God who hates sin because it robs him of his glory. It's a story about that holy God being patient with sinners, being uh, pursuing of the rebellious and giving grace to the undeserving, like the Ninevites and like Jonah and like you and like me. Why would he do that? Because of his great love and his great compassion for them, and because of his great love and his great compassion for you and me. Amen. Oh, it's so good. You see, Jonah was a chosen man. He was chosen, he was set apart, he was set there to speak God's word, and guess what? He messed it up. Jonah messed it up. A chosen man, set apart by God, messed it up. And then Nineveh over here didn't care about God. They weren't looking for God. They terrorized and slaughtered and killed the people of God. And yet what happened? God loved them and God pursued them and God had compassion on them and God saved them. As a little side note, I'm not saying this morning, let's not hear what I'm not saying. It doesn't mean that how we live doesn't matter. Yes, you with me? Because there are real consequences to our sin. There's consequences for us in our own lives when we sin, and there's consequences for those around us when we sin. So we're not saying it doesn't matter how we live. But the truth of the matter, and my wish this morning for us is that we would get this part. So zone in. The truth of the matter is that we are Nineveh. We are Nineveh. We were objects of God's wrath. We were sinful. We were perverted. We were thieves of the glory of God. But guess what? God pursued you and God brought you his word that you are a sinner, that you're condemned because of your sin. But then you heard the good news of the gospel that Jesus died on the cross, that he absorbed the wrath of God, that your sin that you deserved has been removed. And when you heard the word of the Lord and you believed it, God relented in his wrath. He loved you by pursuing you and sending Christ to the cross that he poured out his love on you through Jesus Christ. Amen. We're almost done, band. You can join me on stage. Because now here we are. We're Nineveh, but now we belong to him. 
God made you part of his family. And God made you his mouthpiece here on earth. It's amazing. If you're a Christ follower, if you follow Jesus here today, you're also Jonah. You're a lot like Jonah as well. Called, set apart for good works for his glory. But the problem is we're flawed servants. Uh, I don't know about you, but I can put my hand up and yes, I'm a flawed servant. There are no perfect servants. Flawed and sometimes you can feel ineffective and you can wonder what's the use and you can wonder why do I try because we are flawed servants. We fail, we fall, we rebel. We still do things to rob God of his glory. But the question I want to ask this morning is how do you respond when you fail? How do you respond when you fail like Jonah? Do you live believing that God loves you? Do you live believing that even when you mess up or even when you sin or even when you outright rebel that we serve a God who still loves you, who still accepts you, who still wants you? Do you believe that God is more interested in you than your task? Here's a question this morning, church. Do you believe that God is more interested in you than in the task that you're doing for him? Do you believe that God is more interested in you than in your sin? Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that even when you fail, God sees you as righteous because of your relationship in Christ? That because of the complete and finished work of Jesus, because of your faith in him, that you are securely rooted in our Father's love. How awesome is that? Do you do that or do you try to hide I don't know how many of you this morning would run and hide. Are you someone who still tries to atone for your sin? Are you someone that tries to set up new rules or new timelines to get right with God? Ever been there? Do you think somehow time might smooth things over? No. Maybe God will forget. Well, guess what? I want to tell you this morning, God doesn't forget. Amen? God will never forget. He has never forgotten. And so if you live this way of trying to run and try to hide from God, the question that I have for you this morning is, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten that He loves you? His love is surprising. I, I think that's not the right word. His love is unbelievable. But it's real. And He loves you with an everlasting love that will never run out. It's His love for you this morning sitting here in this room. It's His love for you this morning watching online this morning that drove Jesus to the cross. Do you really think He doesn't know you? <laughs> Do you really think He didn't expect a mess when He saved you? Yes? If he knew what you are now, would he have even gone to the cross? Is this our thinking sometimes? I want to say that God does know you. God does know you. And he knows that you're going to mess up <laughs> often. Yes? Yeah. He knows that we're going to stumble. He knows that we're going to be drawn to worldly things and to wicked things. But that's why, church, he went to the cross. That's the whole point. He knew that we would fail and stumble and doubt, but the cross is a mighty sign of His love and His unrelenting pursuit of you. He didn't go to the cross in case we needed it. He went to the cross because He knew that we would continually need it.
Amen. I'm going to end this morning in 1 John 4, verse 10. Speaking of God's compassion and love, it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. How beautiful is that? How awesome is our God and His compassion and love for every single one of us? I'm going to ask you this morning, if you'd stand up with me, please. As we come into the end, I don't think there's any better response this morning than together participating as a family in communion. As we take this moment to pause and reflect on uh, our imperfection and our failures and our mess-ups, but a God who knew it and decided to love us anyway and uh, took it to the cross. Thanks, V. And so I'm going to ask you to take your little communion cup here. There's the wafer on top and the juice in the bottom. But this God of love who left eternity, left everything so that He could walk this earth, so that we could stand here this morning, 2021, forgiven and whole and righteous in Him. Before He died, He had His last supper with His disciples. And as they sat around the table, He took the bread, first of all, as He was facing the cross. And he said to his disciples that this is my body that is broken for you. Remember this this morning, church. This is his body that is broken for you. And he said, eat this in remembrance of me. And so let's do that together now. It says that in the same way, uh, after supper, he took the cup. And he said to his disciples, remember that this is my blood. This is my blood which is shed for you. Jesus shed his blood for every one of us, for humanity. And so let's take this together and remember that this morning. Jesus, we're so grateful this morning. Thank you for leaving eternity and heaven, coming down to us so that we can stand here. Receive your love, receive your compassion. We thank you, Jesus, God of the second chance. We thank you that when we repent, you relent. We thank you for your endless and everlasting love and compassion in every single one of our hearts. We bless you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.